You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, hey, we continue our time together. We've been looking at Daniel over the last few weeks, and we'll continue that. And then series is entitled Weird. And this weird is a strange, extraordinary, supernatural character that we exhibit. That's not the source of it is not ourselves, but it comes from God himself. That there are moments in life as followers of Jesus where we're required to be re- weird and to exhibit a character, supernatural, extraordinary character that goes against the flow of what the rest of the world is telling us we should be doing. And that's why we're talking about this idea that we need to be able to stand for Jesus in a culture that can't stand Jesus. And so what does it look for like for us to be weird and to be able to do that and to, to understand? And so in the book of Daniel over the last few weeks, there's several threads that we've been talking about. And one of those threads that's kind of woven throughout Daniel is the sovereignty of God. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel calls him Yahweh Adonai. The Lord that is sovereign, the sovereign one. In other words, that it may seem like we can't, we're not in control, may not seem like God cares or God's in control of whatever, but God is intimately weaving and orchestrating the details and the threads of our life, not for our glory and for our purpose or for our benefit, but for His glory and His purpose and His benefit. And so when I think about that, a great image for me is like a, a wonderful tapestry that you'll see the front of the tapestry and you can see the beautiful artwork. And on the backside, if you flip it over, it looks like a mess. And for many of us, we get focused in on the mess of our lives, the things that we're just kind of putting together. But on the other side, there's this beautiful tapestry that God is seeing. And so that he, in the midst of what may seem like a mess to us, he's orchestrating and putting all things together again for his glory. And for his purpose and for his fame, not necessarily for eyes. And so here we are in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. In Daniel chapter 6, one of the other threads that is, that is all throughout that is this idea of testimony. And what does it look like for us, in particular as followers of Jesus, to have a testimony? And what does that look like and what should it look like? And so we'll be talking a little bit more about that idea in detail. So here we are in Daniel chapter six. And so um, Daniel chapter one, we get in, we join in with Daniel's story and he's about a 14 or 15 year old young man. His life is thrown into disarray. He had dreams. He had hopes. He had all this different stuff. And he was in one kingdom and then that kingdom was destroyed and he was brought into a new kingdom. And so what he thought his life was going to be like is, is now going to be radically different. And so he's under a new king and he's trying to figure all this out. And so the, he, in Daniel chapter 1, he and his buddies, his life group get together and say, the king is offering us his best food, but the king's best food is being sacrificed to idols that are not Yahweh, the God that we worship. So therefore, we're going to stand strong together and we're not going to eat of those things. It may cost us our life. It may cost us the possible position and, and some of the things that are available to us, but we've counted the cost and it's not worth 
giving in to eating these things and to stand strong. And I know it sounds like a minor thing, but for many in those days, that was a big thing, food sacrificed over. And then we also see a little bit later on that there's a dream that the king has, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has this pretty radical dream, and he says to his professional dream interpreters, the guys who have gone to Yale and Harvard and all the different places you went back then, to be able to interpret dreams, tell me my... Tell me the interpretation to my dream. But he added a little extra to it. He said, you need to tell me my dream and then also interpret it. And all of the pros said, that's impossible. No one's ever asked us to do that before. That's an impossible thing. And they said, only the gods can do that. And so Daniel was one of, was one of those guys who had been given interpretation abilities. And so he and his life group, his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, got together and said, hey, we're in an impossible situation. If we... God, on our behalf, doesn't give us the answer to this impossible dream interpretation. It will cost us our lives. And so those guys got together and they prayed and God gave them an answer and they put it before him. So the impossible dream was answered and God gave it to him. And then last week we saw where Daniel was off doing his administrative duties. I don't know, maybe he was checking on other countries or whatever his jobs were. But his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were stuck back at home. And King Nebuchadnezzar had built up a, an idol for himself, a huge idol. And people were to bow down and to worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. But remember, we in agreement together as a life group said we would never bow down. We would never worship any other God but Yahweh. And they counted the cost. They looked at the fire ahead of them and said, listen, we're not going to bow down to you or to any other false god. We'll go through the fire. And as we saw, they not only didn't burn up in the fire, but they didn't even have a hint of the smell of smoke on them. And so here we are today. Daniel is now 80 years of age. That's getting on up there. It's actually, I'm, I'm it, Feels young. The older I get, the younger 80 feels. I'm excited about 80. <clears throat> and uh, Daniel's 80. He's been living with God for a long time. And he's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. And that throughout Daniel, one of the things that we see about him, his weirdness comes from his faith in Yahweh. That it's not something from him. It's not his strength. It's not his wisdom. It's not based upon him, but it's based upon his faith in Yahweh and what his knowledge of God and his experience with God. And, and that's one of the things I want you to grasp is that when we talk about, when I say we as uh, me, when we talk about knowing God, the scriptural idea isn't an intellectual ascent of one plus one equals two. Like that's intellectual ascent of knowing something. Scripture talks about knowing God and that you've experienced him so that you've gone to a restaurant per se. I like food. If you haven't guessed, when, go to a restaurant and you eat something and you taste it. There's not just a chef's not looking there going, hey, this is really good. And you're like, yes, it is. No, you dive in and you taste it and you confirm that it is good. Right. So now, you know that it is good. And so for all throughout scripture, when someone says, I know God, or I want you to know God, it's not an intellectual ascent. It's an experience thing. So think about this in the new Testament church, Jesus gave us two things to do on a regular basis. One of those was communion. And that's an experience together. We are teaching. We know that Jesus was 
on the cross and he was died and he was resurrected. We intellectually know that, but we experience it through communion. We're reminded of it. It's an experience there. And then today we're going to experience baptism. You will be immersed in the water and the old is gone and washed away. You're in a grave and you come to newness of life. And so you physically reminded of what God has done, not on the outside intellectually, but he's doing on the inside and transforming you. And so here, that is the source of Daniel's faith, is that he's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so every time it develops a little bit more trust and he gets to know God on a deeper level. It's a relationship piece. And so here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, we're introduced to Darius the Mede, which some of us may know him as Cyrus. He was the king of the Medes and the Persians. And so kings at this time would have different names depending on how they were doing different things and people would address them in different ways. But he's the same guy. And so the first thing that I want you to get from Daniel's life is this, is authentic faith impacts our daily lives. There's not, an, there's not a, a separation between our daily lives and our Sunday life. They're interconnected together. And so here Darius, or Cyrus the Mede, decided to divide his kingdom. I mean, it's a huge kingdom. He's taken over Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, which was the biggest kingdom to that point that man knew. All right, and he divides it into 120 provinces. Think counties or something like that. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So there's 120 satraps or governors of these different places. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So there's 120, and there's three. So there's Daniel and a couple other guys that oversee the 120, so you can do the math of how many they're supervising and watching over. And they're protecting the king's interests. What they're protecting is, is that there may be a province that's a long way away from the from the capital, and it would be real easy to collect taxes and to charge a little extra and put it in your pocket. And so these guys, Daniel and his buddies that are higher up, are traveling around and they're double checking and they're making sure. So they have to be of the highest character because the king is entrusting him with his name and his money and his reputation because these 120 guys are in his name. They're ambassadors of his name. And so this is an extremely important deal. And so Daniel is in charge of the marketing for King Darius and King Cyrus. It's an important job. And Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. He's president and waiting because of his work ethic, because of his gifts, because of his faith, because of his character. But this is real life, right? And maybe you've experienced this where you have gotten a promotion or your boss has been talking highly about you and you've experiencing some success and everybody gathers around you and cheers you on or not. And so Daniel's about to experience the or not. The other administrators gather around the water cooler and begin to talk about Daniel and say, you realize he's, he's that Jewish boy? He came from that other country. He's not even one of us. And he's getting raised up into a position. Who is he that he thinks he should have my position, my pay raise, my car? They see the death of their dreams. And so they begin to get around the water cooler to try to tear down his character. Then the other administrators and the high officers began searching for some some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. 
But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn, right? High character. He's always doing the right thing. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. What's Matthew 5 say? You are the salt of the earth. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. In your workplace, in your school, wherever you're at, you are the one bringing flavor. Now, though the world says Christians are boring, they don't have whatever and all this different stuff that they say. But listen, you have flavor, and that flavor is the Spirit of God. So you bring flavor to the group. You're the one bringing life to the group. What does it say? You bring salt and you bring light. Workplaces can be dark, right? That's why we gather around the water cooler. You are the light. You're the one that illuminates the things that are truth. Not being tattletale, but you're just living your life. And people are like, man, I, I see what's happening and I see how the things are going around. And, and they just, they're different. They're weird. They're the salt and the light. So let your good deeds shine out for all to see me, which is Jesus, so that everyone else will praise your heavenly father. In other words, people are watching their life and they don't praise you, but they praise your father because you are salt and light. So these administrators, they concluded our only chance or our only way of finding grounds of accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. In other words, because of his obedience and his faithfulness to Yahweh, that's the only way we can trip him up. That's a testimony. That's a testimony of someone who's like, listen, I am the salt, I am the light, and life can be going to heck in a handbasket, and I know that I'm not God and he is, and I'm still going to be faithful because it's not about me, it's about him. The only way Daniel's accusers use his faithfulness against him. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. Now, this is one of those moments where they say long live King Darius with their mouth, but behind their back, their fingers are crossed. They have an agenda. They're the accusers. This is the word group is literally there's a mob. It's a controlled mob with a purpose to get their way. So long live King Darius. Not really. As long as I get my way. We are all in agreement. You ever been like that? Somebody says they say or we say and you're like, who's the they? We same deal. Here we are and all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. In other words, they're raising him up. He's a new king. They want him to feel good about himself. And so what would you do? You are the one. We're unifying the entire kingdom around you, Cyrus. So that whenever someone prays, they're praying to you. You are the high priest. You are the God. Everything is focused on you for 30 days. And what king doesn't want the world and his king to be focused on him? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And so he does. And now, your majesty, issue and sign the law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. The second thing that I want you to get about faith, Daniel's faith and our faith, is authentic faith is public and not easily compromised. Daniel heard that there was the law, 
And he went and did what he always did. He's like, there's a law. And I understand it. I understand the consequences. But my obedience, my prayer life is more important than what the law has been passed. He prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. His faith would not be hidden and he would not compromise. Think about this. These officials then went together to Daniel's house. They were intent on finding him, right? They were so confident that he would follow through in faithfulness on prayer. They showed up at his house with their Polaroids and their iPhones and their whatever, and they were taking pictures. Okay, and so even the architecture of the day, they had to work hard to do this. So because Daniel, as a high official, he would have had a pretty high house and they would he would have had to go to the top of his house to pray. And he would be praying toward Jerusalem, toward the temple to remind himself of the fact that right now he's captive, but God promises freedom. And so these guys would have to find a space that was higher than Daniel's house. Or they would have to climb Daniel's house up and peek through the window. Okay? So they were working extra hard to get a glimpse of this. And so the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Daniel's prayer life was essential for him. For us as followers of Jesus, our prayer life, which is our conversation with God, should be essential. But let's be honest, we're busy people. And the busyness of life many times crowds out the essential things. And even good things, taking kids to this place and doing this, or all the different things that life offers us, that there are plenty of good things, but many times those good things overcrowd the essential things for us as followers of Jesus. And so our prayer life goes away. Our time in reading God's Word goes away. Our time with family meals, or whatever those things are in your life that are essential to you, and the dreams and hopes that you have for your family based on God's Word, quickly get moved out by the busyness of life. But this is Daniel's testimony. What's Matthew chapter 10 verse 26 says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. This is our testimony, baptism. But our busyness has a tendency to bump the essential things out. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about this law. They had their little Polaroids. They had their pictures. They were there. They had their Facebook memories. And they took them, right? And so they said they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who does not pray to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? They're tattletales. Any of you know tattletales? And if you've been a tattletale, don't raise your hand. Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. This is a part of their culture. Once something was written down, once it was spoken into law, you could not counteract it, okay, unless you wrote a law to change it. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he is ignoring, ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Kind of reminds me of Dr. Pepper, right? Ten, two, and four. Daniel's praying, you got to do it. There's different times of the day that he's doing it. 
Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. He was grieved by this. This is a deep grieving, a wailing where he would have like almost like a death to him. He would have torn his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and grieving the fact that this was going to cost him this man, Daniel. He so loved this man, even though he wasn't from his country, even though he was different. He knew that this was a man of high character and integrity and valued him and he was going to lose him. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. As a matter of fact, he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. He called all of his lawyers. He called all of his priests. He called all of his wise men. How do I get out of this? And he had until sundown to do it. In the evening at sundown, the men went together to the king and they said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of Medes and Persians, no law that king signs can be changed. And yes, we know this. And so the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, again, his testimony, the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, may he rescue you. One of the things I want you to grasp in verses 14 to to 24, seven times, Daniel, the author, says, may your God, there's this idea of rescue, saving, and delivering. And seven times for the Hebrew people, seven is a number of completion. It comes to an end. And so what Daniel is saying to his readers of the time is that he knew that God was going to save him and rescue him. And he's even using in his sovereignty, he's using the voice and the mouth of others that had watched his life. And they said, may God rescue you. And seven times over, this is going to come to completion. Our testimony is public and not compromise. Look at first Peter chapter three. Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? No one would ever want to do that, right? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of the threats. This is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could stand at the edge and see the fire before them and say, it's not for my glory, but for your glory. So God, we're praying that you rescue us from this fire. And in their mind, rescue means that we come out. But even if we don't, it's not about our fame or our glory. It's about yours. And so we know that even if we do not come out of the fire, you will come out and you will be raised up to glory and fame and honor because that's what you do. So we will suffer for doing the right thing because it's not about us. It's about you. And that's hard. So instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope that you have a believer as the salt and the light, I'd be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see that what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Again, you're not the strength and source of it, but God himself in you and through you. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Authentic faith is public and not easily compromise. So at the last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. The other part I want you to get is this authentic faith impacts our neighbor's view of God. People are watching you. 
And by the way that you handle the stresses of life, the way that you do things, the words, the actions, people are watching and that is their, maybe their only image of who God is and how he interacts. Our authentic faith impacts the, our neighbor's view of God. And so in Daniel chapter 6 verse 17, it says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God. Again, his testimony is coming out. Was your God whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered. Now, what do you think the king's expectation was? Nothing. Crickets. Maybe, 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 maybe like a get me out of here. And then they open it up and he's got a chair and a whip keeping the lions at bay. No. Listen, this was common style of execution of the day. The the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians, they would kings would go on lion hunts and they would kill lions, but they would also capture them and put them in, and they wouldn't feed them, or they'd feed them accordingly, and they would execute people this way. So this was a common scene, okay? And so they put the stone over, so obviously he couldn't get out. This is clearly God was saying this is an impossible situation, and that the only way that Daniel could be saved is by God Himself. And so the king. Daniel answered, long live the king. It wasn't get me out of here. It was long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed. Remember, he'd been in anguish. He'd been grieving and now he's overjoyed. And he ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. And what happened? Not a scratch was found on him. Last week we saw in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And did, what did they smell like? Not smoke. So the protection and completion of power of God is complete for us. Whenever God says, I will honor you and I will protect you and I will provide safety and security and deliverance, it is always complete. This is what Daniel is showing. You won't even smell like the stench. You won't even have a scratch. And people will be clear that it's not you doing it, but God doing it on your behalf. And the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. Now here Daniel has given us a word play. That, that word maliciously accused literally means to be eaten into by little bitty pieces and bits. Okay, so the people who had maliciously accused Daniel and had hoped that he would be torn to bits and eaten in pieces are prophesying their own end. So the king had thrown, had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Again, completion sounds violent, but this is the world. And the lions were hungry. And they leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. The things that they meant for wrong with Daniel came back on them. Daniel didn't have to say a word against them. 
his testimony of faithfulness and integrity and character, God in the end shone light and truth on who he was, and God defends him. Daniel got to see it in his own lifetime. Sometimes for us, we may not get to see it in our own lifetime. And King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For his God is the living God. And he will endure forever. His kingdom, Yahweh's kingdom, will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. He does what? He rescues and saves his people. And here Daniel throws out a word to us. It's a continual action. Daniel tells us that God continually saves and rescues his people. Seven times earlier we were told that we we're going to be saved and rescued and it's brought to completion. And here Daniel follows up and he says not only did he bring it to completion one time, but it's a continual action that he does for his children. He rescues and saves. And he draws to mind for me in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 13 where Paul tells us, if you believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is the Son of God and He was raised from the dead, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We serve a God that's about saving and rescuing. Imagine with me, if you will, that you're in a little, you're someone's out there in a little boat and they're rowing around and you went out for a swim. And in the midst of your swim, you get a cramp and you begin to bob and you begin to whatever. And people, the boat comes by and says, you want help? And you're like, nope, I got it. And the boat keeps coming around and you keep bobbing and swimming and doing your thing. Like, you need help? Nope, I got it. And it seems foolishness. This past week, I saw a great little video of a guy. This is a perfect guy moment. He'd gotten a whole bunch of balloons, about 50 balloons from a party city. He's taken to a party and he walks out of the party city store and it's extremely windy. And so doing the guy thing, he's got him and he's dragging him. And you could tell like he's going to struggle, right? And so he gets to his car, he pushes a little alarm thing and a little beepy thing and it, the tailgate lifts up, lifts up and people are watching him and people have offered to help him. And he's like, no, I got it. And he's literally being pulled away by these things and he's trying to get him into the deal and people walk up, do you need help? No, I've got it. I've got it. And then all of a sudden what happens? One balloon goes. And so a mom goes, hey, can I help you? He's like, no, I got it. And over and over and over, people come and say they want to help. And he's like, no, I got it. Until guess what? All 50 are gone. Non-refundable. Too many times that's our story. The storms and winds of life come up. And we say, no, I got it. And people come alongside and can help us and have wisdom and have the opportunity to save and rescue. And we're like, no, we got it. And your life is non-refundable. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is in a rowboat. And in those moments where we're struggling, he's like, you need help? He's offering us a gift. And until we get desperate enough, So many times we don't say yes. But if you've said yes, you understand that the saving and the rescuing and delivering is complete. And that our journey in the boat is just beginning. 
We begin to understand that life is so much better and we can enjoy the ride so much better in the boat than bobbing and weaving by ourselves in the oceans of life. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian because of his testimony. This morning I want you to think about your testimony. Daniel has a testimony and this word testimony is talked about quite a bit around church. But what does it mean to have a testimony? This is courtroom language. That you enter into a court and you give testimony. That you are providing evidence for. You have your pictures. You have your stories. You're backing up someone's word and deed to either convict them or prove that they're innocent. Daniel was proven, he was convicted of someone who was obediently serving faithfully Yahweh. In the courtroom of God, in the courtroom of his people, they said, this guy, the only way that we can trip him up is by his obedience. For us, what's our testimony? In the courtroom of life, as people examine our life and they talk about our words and our deeds and our actions and the way that we love, Can we be convicted of being a follower of Jesus? We generally think about our lives as this kind of cleaned up thing, that this moral habit change that we don't drink anymore, we don't cuss anymore, we don't talk anymore, you know, all the different things that we shouldn't do for whatever reason you've been told that, that we can clean up. But that's not the good news. See, if that's if that was the good news, that would be like getting in the boat and being trained in something new, a little bit better swimming, and then you thrown back into the ocean. And then when you realize that that's not good enough, then you got to come back and do it again. And, and what Jesus said, listen, when when I rescue and I save and I pull you into the boat, it is complete and thorough. I'm not going to throw you back into the ocean. You're in the boat with me. And together now we are doing life together. That is what it means to be saved. That is what it means to be rescued. That is what it means to be doing life. And that the source of our life, the the power, the motion of us going forward, the character that comes from us isn't from us, but it's from him. He powers the boat. He's rowing it. Now, there may be times where we're like, Jesus, get out. And we try to do it in our own power. We realize we're not we're, we're going against the wind. So how does your testimony look? Can we be convicted? I've been pastoring for at least five years now. Um, Since I was 18, so I'm 23. And one of the things that I learned early on was our natural tendency is that whenever we're seeking to be saved, when we're seeking to be changed, when we're seeking to be transformed, that when people come to see me, they're like, I'm in trouble. And so they come tell their story, and they're wanting to be saved. And one of the things that we talk about is that for you to find healing in this area of your life, whether it's relationships, whether it's finances, whatever it may be, we all have areas of growth and transformation. Whatever it may be, our tendency is to create a false narrative or to not tell ourselves the real truth about why we're struggling in a relationship, why we're struggling with our finances, because we're embarrassed or whatever that may be. But what God says 
the truth of Scripture is, for there to be complete healing and transformation and restoration, you have to allow light to completely illuminate the issue. Where there is darkness, there needs to be light. And under the light, God allows himself, if we allow him to pull back the wool where we've been injured and hurt, and he digs in and that's embarrassing and it's painful, even in that moment whenever you've been hurt as a kid, mama begins to touch and hurt, it hurts, right? And you wince. But the only way that for complete true healing to happen is for that to be illuminated and for Jesus to pull back the wool and to see, or he already knows, but for us to join him and see like this is why you are hurt and for there to be healing, he has to do and provide the medicine. But so many times we're embarrassed or we're pride and so we've created a false narrative of like I'm going to overcome it or we just kind of hide it and so our house... Our spiritual house has a lot of closets. And we're just hiding things. And Jesus says, I need to go into that closet and clean it out. Not for behavior modification, but for healing. Because here's the deal. Is that when God provides healing, you may walk with a limp. There's some things where we struggle with God and we're going to walk a little differently. And people go, why are you limping? Because God and I, we had a discussion and he won. But I'm forever changed. I would rather walk with a limp than walk the way I had been walking. Because at least I'm walking toward him and not away from him. And then also there's been those moments where you got a scar. And somebody's like, man, that's a good one. And guess what you do? You tell the story. Man, I was seven years old and we built this ramp and we were, man, we just knew we were going to be the next evil Knievel. And when I woke up three days later, I thought I was evil Knievel. And now I got the scar and you tell the story, right? Your scars are because healing has happened. You've been hurt, but there's been healing. The deeper the scar, the deeper the hurt. And so for us, Jesus is calling. So quit lying to yourselves. Quit pretending. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And you know the verbiage, you know the words, but you've never let Jesus do the healing. You want more from your faith, but you don't allow Jesus to shine the light and to do the work that only he can do to provide the healing. Because you're like, Jesus, this hurt is too much. And Jesus is like, no, that's the very hurt that you need to get get fixed first so that I can do these other things. Because a lot of times we're living life out of these hurts and don't even know it. And that the reason that you're even doing some of the other dumb things you're doing is because you're living and you haven't dealt with the lie here. And that has to be solved. And yeah, you may walk with a lamp and you may have a nasty scar, but that will be your story. And people will like, how can you? And you're like, only by the grace of God and his healing power. Can I do that? Let's pray together. 
Dear Holy Father, you don't ask for perfection, but you do want us to pursue you, to walk after you, to chase after you like you've chased after us. Father, I pray for us in this room that we understand that you don't want perfection, but you want to change us and transform us and that our testimony, our scars, the very things that maybe we're most embarrassed about are the things that need the deepest healing and that can show the transforming work and plan of God. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we think about your words and we think about how you truly care for us and that we can walk through some stuff and your, your protection and provision and care for us is complete, that we won't even smell like smoke, we won't even have a scratch because of your protection. And that, Father, that you may be calling us to what seems like the most dangerous place in the world for us to go, but if you've called us and we're obedient, that you got us. You've got our back. Because you care for your children. The details of our life you care about. Father, may we pursue you. And may we show the scars and limps of life of what you've done in us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.